It is the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where they review all the episodes of The Late Show. Yeah, yes. The Late Show, yes. Legendary. Yes. 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 Thank you, Philip Brady and Simon Owens, for your intro of our theme, which I may or may not have altered a little bit. And welcome to episode 36 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show and other Degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is the usual gang of... Oh, no, I can't say that word. I was about to refer to idiots, but that's... Thanks a lot. (laughs) What's that from the usual gang of idiots? No, that's a Mad Magazine (laughs) reference. I do apologise. But we have Alison, Daniel, Kim and Tony. Hi. Hello. All right. Thanks for joining us today and uh, we might as well get on with it. We're pushing the drive here. We still get our Bar Jars competition where we want you to record a, your favourite quote from Bar Jars so or you do your best impression plus a raspberry. Now, um, and the best ones that we end up choosing, which is at the discretion of us, the panel, uh, is you could win the Bar Jars slash Bluey box set from Crawford's DVD, uh, sponsored by mygeekculture.com.au, um, where it's all original episodes of Bluey. And second prize is the Champagne Comedy Late Show DVD best bits that we've all pretty much known and loved, but this one's unopened and brand new. So, <laughs> ideal as a backup. Yes. So here's what we've got. Because I've actually never played the entries. Uh, I've been kind of leading everyone on for a bit. How many roads must a man walk <laughs> down before you can call him a man? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Oh, Christ. The answer (laughs) is blowing in the wind. Here's my response, Bowden. Right, I need something from the heart. Something unmistakably barge-ass. Don't break my ass, my bargy-wargy ass. I don't think my pants would understand. Oh, but if you... Christ, was that me or the door? Bet this never happens to Reg Lindsay. Howdy, partner. <laughs> Is that a Naji shirt? Nah, it's a bargy shirt. All right, kids, let it rip. <laughs> a choir! Don't break my ass, my budgie-wudgie ass. I would think my pants would understand. And if you break my ass, budgie-wudgie ass, might blow up and kill this man. Thank you so much, Alex, Kate, <laughs> Karim, Leonard, Puglia, and Tim Chuma for sending those in. So they at least have a 25% chance of winning right now. <laughs> That's what we're after, and I'm going to remix those as best as I can into a bit of a mashup. I'm, I'm amazed at the, 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 the choir of the fartists there. Yeah, that sounds like a family affair from Leonard. Never not so, funny are they fart jokes, you know, particularly really drawn-out farts like some of the examples we heard there. Re- really excellent stuff. 
I, I'm disappointed as always that there isn't a lady barge ass or, or at least a woman submitting an Anne Burke. That would be that would be nice. Simply half flush or full. That's all you need to quote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not you. It's it's the spuds talking. Yeah, yeah. Natalie Thighblaster is also eligible to enter. Yes. So so yeah. Pl- please enter the competition and uh, decrease the chances of winning. Exactly. Now, <laughs> as an extra sweetener, other than the Bluey box set, other than the run-up of the Champagne Edition DVD, and also uh, some really cool CDs from Potluck contestant Michael Warren. Ah, uh, yes, don't forget Michael. Yes, so thank you very much, Michael, for that. We also have something which you are all going to love. It's rare. Yeah, uh, Chris Kendall shared it to um, uh, Champagne Comedy on Facebook. Someone had to get it. And all I can say is thank you, Daniel, for making the effort <laughs> for tracking this item down. Now, I'll leave yeah. it to you, Daniel. Chris Kendall uh, posted to Champagne Comedy on Facebook uh, a picture of a framed poster of Joan Kerner in her leather jacket playing guitar, doing uh, her uh, rendition of I Love Rock and Roll from uh, Season 2, Episode 13. And I love rock and roll. So there it is there. Uh, So uh, somebody took a snap of it uh, and sent it to us saying that it was spotted today in an op shop uh, in Brighton, uh, Adelaide's Brighton, I should point out. Um, Now, they didn't specifically say which op shop, and uh, there are quite a lot of op shops on Brighton Road in Brighton. Basically, the day after it was posted, I uh, went on a bit of an expedition. The RSPCA op shop didn't have it. The Save the Children op shop didn't have it. Uh, Vinnie's and Salvo's, no dice. Although I did get a lot of good uh, CDs and DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> I got an Adam Hill stand-up DVD, Judith Lucy's Spiritual Journey, the single by Mr. G, Chris Lilly, oh. Naughty Girl. Oh, my Lord. Was there any, any questions for band DVDs? <laughs> I haven't found it yet. Well, like I've, I was uh, looking very quickly in a couple of them because they, they closed a bit early, but basically I couldn't find it in those four. So I had another look at that uh, photo on Facebook and I did notice on a, on a sign that was nearby and also um, my brother, ha- who has much more eagle eyes, spotted a couple of labels that had a little red plus sign and suddenly I realised, hang on, is there a red cross shop around here? And lo and behold, I got there 10 minutes before five and I've got it! It's a, a framed poster of uh, Joan Kerner, uh, yeah, headlined uh, Joan Jet and the Fishnets, backed by popular demand. And uh, it turns out it's actually a signed poster. It wasn't that clear in the Facebook photo, but uh, uh, to Chris and Les, best wishes, Joan E. Kerner, 2638, which is her birthday. And, uh, yeah, it's a poster uh, essentially... Um, advertising her 60th birthday party. Uh, special singing guest stars, Jenny George, David White, uh, Sharon Burrow, Julia Gillard, where have I heard her name before? Uh, Sue Walpole, Jane Clifton, and many more breathtaking performers. So it's a, uh, it's a souvenir framed poster and it's even autographed. Um, it'll be even more ideal for anybody who's named Chris or Les. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, especially to drive up um, entries to uh, Bar Jazz competition, 
I think this should be added to the uh, the prize pool. Consider it done. So here you go. A bit, this is, well, it's worth $30 at least. Money well spent, money uh, going to uh, the Red Cross. And, uh, yeah, it can be yours. Now get your barge-ass quotes and <laughs> in to champagnelateshow at gmail.com. And you have until episode 39 because the reveal will be in episode 40. So right now, this is episode 36. So you've got a few more episodes left. And it is the poster, or it is the celebration that where the infamous, well, not infamous, I guess, the, the famous photo that gets constantly sent and retweeted of Julia Gillard rocking out on stage with Joan Kerner. It's that party. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's that party that this poster is advertising. Thanks, Daniel. Now it's time for... I've got the paper! <laughs> More Daniel G, and this time it's with his program guide. Okay, so uh, this is all from Ross Warnicke's critical guide uh, from uh, the Saturday night. Ross Warnicke's comments next to the listings. So on Channel 7, we've got Inspector Morse, this episode titled The Last Bus to Woodstock. Uh, says Warnicke, a secretary from an insurance firm is found murdered in a car park, and Morse is bewildered by a coded message found in her bag. Now, yeah, considering it's a secretary from an, from an insurance firm, I'd kind of prefer to see that uh, detective from the budget direct commercials uh, trying to solve this one myself. Watch out for the dog with a lightsaber. Exactly. Uh, over on Channel 9, we've got Hey Hey, It's Saturday. Guests include John Stevens performing Going Down. Uh, we had Will Wilde, Russell Gilbert and Effie playing Celebrity Head. We had the cast of Five Guys Named Mo performing a song from the musical called Choo 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 Boogie. Then we had Marty and Maury Fields doing the greatest Aussie joke. Uh, sorry, the great Aussie joke. Maybe they weren't the greatest. Molly Meldrum interviewed Michael Hutchins in Molly's Melodrama. Red Faces had the judges Tracy Harvey and uh, from Five Guys Named Mo, Charles Organs. Uh, we also had George Coleman on drums and Claire Martin performing The Devil May Care. And to finish things off, Tony, Tony, Tony performing their hit, If I Had No Loot. Uh, now, if you want to watch any of those, uh, you can uh, go to heyhey.tv and pay your $6.95 a month, or you can just wait for Hey Hey, it's 217 years if you want. <laughs> did, did, did any of you guys watch that, the Hey Hey, it's uh, 100 years special? Uh, I yeah. saw a bit yeah. of it, and, and mm-hmm. I am surprised that you are surprised it wasn't much good. Don't tell Hey Hey It's the <laughs> podcast, man, they'll be right. <laughs> well, yeah, it was all right, but it seemed to have a bit of an air of, please let us back on the telly. Mm-hmm. This sort of thing should be on the telly again. Please let us back. Th- that's everything Daryl has done since the last revival of Hey Hey. It's just, I mean, it was so weird to have a show that's just clips that starts with Daryl coming on stage and having fake applause and him going, Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, it's like back where you're. Nothing, nothing is there. You're in front of a green screen. All right, uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get <laughs> enough back into attack the program, on Daryl right? for one night. Old <laughs> <laughs> is never enough. Well, yes, but still. Uh, after Hey Hey It's Saturday, we've got the Karate Kid. Uh, says Warnicky, 1983 martial arts adventure with Pat Morita as a Japanese handyman who teaches karate and self-confidence to a scrawny teenager played by Ralph Macchio, who is being harassed by bullies. Likeable film pitched primarily at the youth market that spawned two inglorious sequels. Over oh on gosh. Channel 10, um, it's not hard to tell. I haven't really watched The Karate Kid, to be honest. I, I love the first Karate Kid, Wax On, Wax Off. And, you know, I, I, as a kid, I absolutely devoured the sequels. So, you know, 
Horses for courses. Is the fourth one the one where they have an entirely different karate kid? Yeah. No, no one oh, cares I'm about just, the fourth one. Is that the one with um, one of Will Smith's kids? Am no, I, that's or, a much uh, later one. Yeah, that's the, the, the reboot. Hilary Swank yeah. as yes, the, right. the next yeah. karate kid, and then there was the reboot, the karate kid with uh, Jaden Smith in it. And, uh, and and then you got the whole continuation, which is Cobra Kai on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Over on Channel 10, we've got uh, another movie called Hope and Glory. Says Warnicky, diverting Oscar-nominated 1987 story of English family life during World War II, told through the eyes of nine-year-old Billy, played by Sebastian Rice Edwards. The boy compensates for some ordinary performances by Sarah Miles as his mother and Ian Bannon. Directed by John Borman, whose three previous films had been fantasies and nowhere near as creditable or human as this. <laughs> John, wasn't didn't John Borman direct Zardos with Sean Connery? I mean, come on. <laughs> and he, he definitely directed Excalibur. So you know, in the bin with Warnicky yet again. <laughs> and also, again, these all seem to be movies that I've never watched. I mean, well, we're coming out to SBS. I've definitely never, never watched this one. Uh, another movie called Le Duos, a confused 1962 French underworld tale of a crook. Cillian, played by Jean-Paul Belmondo, who rats on a mate. The main problem is that Cillian's motivation and his behaviour is so hard to follow. Or as the SBS ad in The Green Guide puts it pithily, superb realism in a classic film of dishonour among thieves. And now we get to the ABC, so the lead-in once again, Birds of a Feather. What will I do? Season 2, episode 15, titled Someone Else's Baby. Antiques Roadshow arrives in Chigwell and the girls go into Tracy's loft. Sharon discovers some letters written by her mother suggesting either she or Tracy were adopted. After some arguing between the two two sisters, uh, Sharon invites Auntie Sylvie to their house, who finally tells them that they were both adopted but they are still biological sisters. Meanwhile, Dorian goes to the Antiques Roadshow with a family heirloom. That's no way to talk about Dorian the dirty car. <laughs> but to her horror, she discovers that she thought uh, that what she thought was a Russian Empire vase is in fact a mid-20th century hackney market fake. That's followed at 10 o'clock by The Late Show. Now, there's a slight change from Warnicke's usual satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne's DGEN. He adds, one of the ABC's most consistent ratings performers. There you go, it's consistent. That was a, consistent uh, isn't a compliment. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's sort of what, one viewer a week is consistent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like uh, it's adequate. <laughs> it's he, 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 he really the, the, the doesn't want to say anything. He really doesn't want to say anything nice about The Late Show, does he? Because it's, you know, it's not his thing. This has been well established in the first series and yet it's massively popular so he can't slag it off or he'll look ridiculous. I, I yeah. think this is the most conciliatory he's going to get. Well, that's uh, the and- thing with these sort of TV critics. He, The Late Show will finish at some point and Warnicky will continue and will just keep going, oh, yes, failed ABC attempt at satire and just keep driving that home. And, you know, a decade or so later, his view will be the received view, except for the fact that, you know, from this period on, people were able to watch TV shows themselves again. They were, you know, out on VHS 
It wasn't just mm. some old guy who remembered the show telling you what it was like. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, then uh, after the late show, we've got Order in the House, the weekend federal parliament. Then at midnight, we've got Smith and Jones. Uh, mm. You might remember that this was a lead-in for the first seven episodes of the late show in season one. So as far as I can tell, this is a, a repeat of that run. Then at 12.30, ATVI News, and at 1am, Rage, with guest programmers Tex Perkins and Ken Gormley of The Cruel Sea. All right, let's get stuck into this episode. Sweet. Thank you very much, Daniel. And now it is time to review, dissect, and completely dismember this episode of The Late (laughs) Show, Season 2, Episode 16, broadcast Saturday, October 2nd, 1993. And due to ABC cutbacks, the cast of The Late Show will be shacking up with various personalities in Sydney because it is a Sydney show to celebrate Sydney winning the 2000 Olympics. Yay! Ah, what a great hype. And so we have the following shacked up with various Sydney personalities. Jane and Judith with darling Jeannie Little. Jason with Jeff Harvey uh, playing all the recognisable TV tunes that he's basically been a part of. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the theme to the Sullivans and then the theme to the Sullivans in a different key. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tommy G with Glen A. Baker. Uh, man, if only he really sat there and listened to In the Gutter De Vida, the 17-minute version. Fantastic. <laughs> Tony setting up, shaking up with... Mr. Ian Maurice. The bear. That's great, Ian. Look, I've got to go. Uh, this has been fascinating. But, but, but I'm really sorry you didn't get the role of Barney Rubble in the Flintstones. I've got to go. I'll play this game. This game here was 1974. Really? That's yeah, that's that's oh, that is so spot on by Tony. <laughs> yeah, all right. If there's anyone less interested in rugby, you know... <laughs> Which is assume, presumably why he got paired with him. Mick is with Money's Paul Clitheroe, and also Mick shows that he's, you know, a bit strapped for cash to a point. <laughs> and that, and that, apparently he only drinks a little, which is met with much laughter from the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Santo is uh, with Les Murray. Also, Rob is with Don Burke. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And moving on. Yep, moving on. <laughs> and you have, as the driver... James Morrison. That's not James Morrison. Yeah, I have the answer oh. here. It's in, in the uh, TV Week article from the 23rd of October, 1993. It is ABC Supremo David Hill driving the bus for the opening. I'm completely wrong. Yep. That's right, David Hill. <laughs> yeah, he was the, the managing director of the ABC from 1987 to 1995. I don't know why I put James Morrison and I didn't bother checking the credits. Well, yeah, I, 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 I will admit that, that is quite a good doppelganger. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> See, play, see, because I'm thinking, well, that kind of makes sense with all the different personalities. Yeah, well, it's a lot funnier and sort of uh, helps make up the joke where they're, they're bagging ABC management just before they reveal David. Well, they'll be on back chat. You, for, you forgot to mention a, a slightly interesting part of the Jeannie Little bit where she, she's banging on about glad bags. And This, uh, this was and her she, thing. Yeah, yeah she, she used to, famous for she used to go his, on... Uh, yeah, Mike yeah, Walsh show make, and actually yeah. make these elaborate costumes... She lived in Paddington, which is uh, where my parents used to have a shop there. So she used to be a, a frequent visitor there. I remember getting her autograph one day, but she was just like that in, in real life, really, real larger-than-life character. I remember- did, did she literally go around dressed in glad bags? Because this was, I mean, she would go on, you know, GMA and various shows like that, you know, spruiking glad bags and sometimes wearing them as dresses. 
Yeah, I think for practical reasons she wasn't wearing them at the time, but certainly that she she would go out in some eye-catching costume. And and I have a, a minor story about Jeff Harvey because back in 1986, my parents and I were on a a day cruise to the Great Barrier Reef, and he was on the on the cruise. And we had um the video recorder guy was just recording, and he was this um. He was just drinking a lot. They were all singing these bawdy songs with the ladies and the, and the cameraman was zooming in on their various faces and other bits. And it was just, it was really interesting just to see them all kind of uh, uh, getting a little bit uh, tipsy. Also on the cruise was the Good Morning Australia astrologist Karen Morgold and her family, which was oh. another blast from the past. <laughs> so, <laughs> so those are my minor. I don't have any other stories about any, anyone else on that, on that um, sketch there. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> now, also, um, watching this uh, sketch as it progresses, gee, we've lost a few of them, haven't we? Because like, we lost uh, Ginny Little. Uh, she died in 2010. Jeff Harvey died in 2019. Les Murray died in 2017. Don Burke was cancelled in 2017. We've lost quite a lot of them, really. Th- thankfully, still, still with us uh, at the time of recording. Uh, yeah, Clint A. Baker, Paul Clitheroe, uh, Ian Morris and David Hill. Yeah, and uh, yeah, James Morrison impersonated David Hill. <laughs> oh, J- James Morrison is also alive as well because I went to uh, a Christmas concert of his uh, last year. He's, oh, he's exceptional. Oh. Sorry, I was just going to say, I was really surprised to see how young Glenn A. Baker looked because I, I, you know, I know he was doing stuff with the degeneration in the past, but in my head, he's always been this bald, grey-haired, very sort of, not wrinkled, but, you know, an old guy. And seeing him there, it's like, oh, he always looked like that, but he looks a lot younger than that. <laughs> Whereas Paul, yeah. Paul Clitheroe just look. I, I have no idea how he looks now, but Paul Clitheroe just, yeah, that's what he looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are just some people that, that look a particular age no matter how old they are. Tony Martin, basically. Or, although, you know, having said that, you know, if you look at a photo of Tony now versus how he looked then, there clearly has been a change. It's just that he hasn't changed his haircut or his glasses, really. And he's still well, skinny. I, I spent a large chunk of this staring at Tony's hairline because it was really, like, thick and Hot. black and vampiric. And yeah. I was just kind of like, I guess I haven't seen young footage of him for a while, whereas, you know, he's always sort of popping up still. But, yeah, it, it really, I don't know, stood out. I'll, yep. I'll be discussing that in my podcast, Tony Martin's Hair, coming up later this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. How, how many episodes is it? 20? We've booked in for 60, but, you know, we're willing to drag it out. And you're more than welcome to come on this show and plug that too, so yeah, to speak. Plug, plug, promote, plug it promote it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> promote, yes. Do, do, a, do a PowerPoint presentation about the, the different hairline and, yeah. <laughs> it's only one thing that concerns him, and that's hair loss. So now we have the opening titles and the opening remarks as well where we're in Sydney again and this time the stage is all set up with a painting, a fancy painting which will be revealed later on who's done it but uh, it's very 90s and we have Tony and Mick getting uh, get a big Sydney welcome with a ticket tape parade as well. And also because security didn't stop them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was happened. Um, it happened on the first uh, of October, nineteen ninety-three. So that was the day before the actual uh, show was broadcast, and that was a ticket tape parade just to thank all of the officials and the uh, other Olympic um, athletes that helped with the Sydney bid. So it was, they were genuinely walking down there. Um, I believe they were in front of the Metropolitan Hotel, 
Um, and they, they, I think they were actually uh, did something in, in conjunction with the people in that building who uh, had a, a nice sign welcoming the late show. <laughs> Other than that, they were promoting us, like Sydney celebrities being on the show, like the driver who blew 0.45. Wow. Definitely uh, over in the game of over or, or under. Yeah. I mean, that that's legally dead, isn't it? Yeah, he, he wouldn't be one st- that's still with us now. No. <laughs> but then it goes a little bit dark. So there's scrutiny on the 1993 Grafton siege uh, that happened in March, uh, saying the police interfered with a current affair. Oh, yes, yeah, this, the, yeah, so infamous, this one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, basic, the basic thing was that there were these three guys who went on this rampage and, and they ended up, um, they killed five people and they kidnapped four children and they... They were um, in this, they basically were sort of the hostages they kept um, in a farmhouse in Kangai near Grafton and, and they were there for several days. And what was what was controversial about this from the media point of view was that Mike Willisey and Mike Munro were criticised for telephoning the farmhouse and basically blocking the line so that the police couldn't call in and try and get them to, you know, come out basically. Um, so yeah, and Mike Munro also landed a helicopter near the homestead. So you know, it was was very was very poor behaviour from the media who were basically blocking the police's attempts to sort of negotiate with them. Here's the audio from a current affair: Willisey kind of backing himself, and then the actual bit. So maybe a bit disturbing, but this was from March 1993. Two gunmen in custody, another dead after shooting himself at a farmhouse in northern New South Wales was the end of a three-day rampage across two states in which four people were murdered and four children were held during the ordeal. Leonard, could I talk with the children? Yes, Trevor. Trevor, mate. Hello. Yeah. Here he is now, it's Trevor. Thanks, Leonard. We're safe. Trevor? Yeah. I want to know how you are. We're safe. You sure you're safe? Yes. Yeah. Now, I play that because a year later... It was satirised on Frontline. Yeah. The episode titled The Siege. Hello, Amy. My name's Mike Moore. Do you know who I am? No. Oh, huh. Uh, Amy, are you afraid? No. Have you enjoyed this in- adventure? Yes. Is Daddy there? Guns. Guns. And is uh, he pointing the gun at you? No. Put Daddy back on the line, Amy. This must have really struck a chord with them. Really, really stuck in their minds for them to, to, to mine it for, um, for parody. Well, I will tweet it out later on after this episode is released, but there is an interview that Tom Gleisner did on TV TV, and uh, he's having a chat to James Valentine about this. Well, it was a massive deal at the time, and I think the Australian media, we weren't sort of used to that kind of thing. I mean, now a current affair is pretty much a, it is what it is but back then a current affair was a serious news program all the, the news programs were serious shows and to have a host ringing up a siege to you know kind of get himself in in as part of the story was a real a real surprise it wasn't a thing that generally happened a lot in australia no it was so, a real it was a real crossing the line really yeah mm. yeah people were really surprised by it i mean that's why this is a a police report into a siege that happened, you know, six months earlier. Normally that wouldn't rate a mention in the news or it would just be a passing thing, but this was such a big deal 
the people were still, you know, six months later going, what was going on? What, how could that sort of thing happen? Mm. So uh, other than that, uh, Elle McPherson in the country to film a bunch of KFC commercials. Here's a snippet. I don't have to step out of myself when I'm on camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, wrong one. Here's the commercial. Sorry, I better go. I gotta go. I gotta go. I've got friends over tonight. A tender roast meal, please. please. You can eat a normal barbecue chicken anywhere, but the juiciest, most succulent chicken is KFC's Tender roast. Thank you. It's the best barbecue chicken town. Try KFC's new tender roast chicken. The secret's the marinated magic. I like it like that. Yeah, I'm just going to say that product didn't last very long, did it? I mean, you know, I I couldn't have. I I don't remember these ads. I couldn't have imagined Elle McPherson ever eating KFC proper KFC, but. But obviously they were trying to go for something a bit healthier and it didn't work for them. Well, that was when they, they rebranded from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC, yeah. mm. um, which led to a number of jokes I won't make. But, but yeah, it's very <laughs> much sort of like, oh, KFC, we're going up market and we're not, you know, just the regular sort of chicken dipped in salt that you remember. And I think after a while they just went, oh, look, people just like the, the regular stuff. Let's go back to, you know, get stuck in at the kernels. Nowadays, KFC are really leaning into that whole unhealthy, mm. uh, yeah. Finger-licking finger good. I remember as a, as a child when they were finger-licking good, my my grandmother yeah. going, this is disgusting, finger-licking. And then uh, <laughs> all, of, all of this, I like it like that, and all this wishy-washy stuff. And then it's, oh, let's get back to this deep-fried stuff. Yeah, look on the fried side of life is uh, one that, that they've been using recently. So, uh, who, yeah, healthy, who cares? Uh, and also they're looking at the danger of breast implants as well, especially the one model that explodes like an airbag. So, yeah. I remember it was around that time there was some, like, talk show in America where the people were quite had quite large bras. And I can't remember. Does anyone remember there was a there was a show that was on around that time? Yeah, and I remember it was given kind of prime time status because it was such a huge deal to talk about it. And I thought that might be might be related to to that joke. It, it sounds a bit more Jerry Springer like, but I don't think he was really kicking round no. at that time. It was mm. more or less Donahue or Ricky Lake or. Sally Jesse Sally, Raphael. Yeah, Sally Jesse Raphael, yeah. yeah. And now... You know who at the you know what! <laughs> <laughs> News desk at Tommy That's from this episode, by the way. So we're just retiring Judith for that one for a little while. Where shall we start? There's a fair bit going on in this one. Standoff in Russia. It's more visual than anything, except for the whole thing where Boris Yeltsin clasped to power is falling apart. And then you have the rebel MPs doing karaoke and playing Murder in the Dark. And the leader, Alexander Ross... Oh. Come on. Okay. R- R- <laughs> Rotskoy. Alexander Rutskoy. Very good. Hooray. Yay for me. Job, for S- job on SBS for you. So, um, yeah, well, his position is in jeopardy as tapes emerge that he once starred in Russia's own comrade, Bajarsky. So, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, the coroner has hand, hands down his findings about the siege. Uh, the media was scrutinised for tying up the phone lines. Fingers were pointed at Willisy, Mike Munro, and of course... Hi, it's John Blackman from uh, Telecom Yay! Mobile. Yay! But, John Blackman, <laughs> joke number nine. So China's failed Olympic delegation arrives in Beijing and only to be whisked, <laughs> whisked away for a government reception. 
Unquote. Yeah. Uh, cel- Still topical. Mm, isn't it what? Celebrations all around with the Brisbane Broncos arriving back in Queensland after the NRL Grand Final with uh, a glorious chant. Oh, here we go, here we go. Yeah, and John Fay arriving back in Sydney after an Olympic bid win. Oh, here we go, here we go. I couldn't pass that up. But then uh, John Faye's been accused of hijacking the games, and so he's in studio, and Tommy G basically quizzes him. Well, you had that running with Bruce Baird. Let's, oh, let's perhaps yeah. clear this up. Who will be the minister in charge of the Olympics? I will. All right. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll just take charge. All right, then. Okay, well, who will actually be organising the games? I will. Oh, Rod McGeoch will take yep. sides. Who, who, who will be reading the Olympic Oath? I'll give it a bash. Yeah. Uh, who would say be carrying the Olympic torch? Right. What about the 100 metres? Can we take a start, eh? I'll give the, I'll give the start. The start I'd like to have a get the beat. Right. And then I'll run around and join up. I just I'll, love I'll, it. I'll, I'll give it a bash. That's such yeah. an Aussie one. Yeah. I can just imagine him just doing the starting pistol and then running. <laughs> just imagine him. Yeah, I, I think this is a a ripper impression. I think it's all it's all in the tongue. He sort of mm. sticks the tongue out a little bit. The tongue and the pauses. Again, it's it's the notes he doesn't play. Yeah, it, it's the breathlessness of the voice as well that he manages to get, which you know, very very good. And then Faye presents Tommy G with a Sydney two thousand It's Mine T shirt. Oh, you forgot John Faye from Telecom Mobile Net. <laughs> in environmental news, loggers and greenies are coming to blows and who will come out on top? Uh, well, John Fahey will. Uh, but footage has been released of the clashes as well as the footage captured by Funniest Home Videos, which has got boing sound effects and so forth. So, yeah, with that one, uh, also in studio, uh, we have the young little girl or little young girl who won everyone's hearts, our littlest ambassador, the one who did the big speech to every person in the world, and that is Kim's friend, Tanya Blanco. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know her personally, I have to admit, but uh, if you do look her up on Google, you pretty much get a video clip that I posted many years ago. Um, As I mentioned in the last episode, she ended up going to my high school in 1994. Attention, the Dark Guys High School. Year 12, I'm giving you your very own military coup. We have taken the teachers hostage. Also, we have captured St. George's International Olympic delegate, Tanya Palenka. Everybody, we'd like you down by the pool now. Rebellion will be severely prosecuted by us. And we don't have water pistols, we have real guns. Year 12, we'd just like to say, welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. The, 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 the Grafton Siege has nothing on that high school coup, coup does it? Yeah, yeah I, I wish we'd thought of having a military coup on our muck-up day. 
Yeah, this was just a regular swimming carnival, so it wasn't even a muck-up day. Um, okay. And I think in this day and age... What did you not... do on muck-up day? You've already done the <laughs> military coup. You yeah, peaked. Exactly. In this day and age, you would not yeah, be able to get away with this. Probably the purge is what you would have done. Oh, <laughs> yes. That, that's the logical... Yes. Is that why we have conclusion? Yeah. haven't heard from Tanya for a while? Anyway, so, that, <laughs> so uh, it turns out, yeah, we... I'm sure that the, the principal and Tanya had had a prior knowledge of this in real life. I hate to spoil it for you. It probably just wasn't some spontaneous kidnapping. Um, but, it, yeah, the video is all there on YouTube and they basically just uh, spray with some water pistols and everyone was like, ha-ha. <laughs> the swimming carnival, that, that, that whole audio bit, that wasn't her talking. That was a school friend. Yeah, that was someone else in our year who was uh, making the announcement and everyone was just paying attention at the time. It just came over on the loudspeaker and I had my video camera at the ready because no one else had social media back then. I was lucky enough to have a camcorder and um, managed to just uh, record the moment. And I got an email back in 2007, which was still in my archives, uh, from someone saying, my cousin was at the infamous Tanya Blanco kidnapping incident. So (laughs) word, like, this is like 14 years after the event. People are still talking about it. And and someone was uh, actually emailing me to say that their cousin (laughs) was there on the day. So if anyone else was at this event and remembers it, um, let us know. I actually tried to... (laughs) track down Tanya Blanco, but she's very hard to find. This is what Tanya sounded like. This is the original speech that she did. Mr. President, members, my name is Tanya Blanco. You may be asking why an 11-year-old girl is speaking to you today. Well, the reason is that I have a very important message for all of you from the children of Sydney and Australia. Thanks to the Sydney 2000 bid and your visit to our schools, Children like me now know a lot more about the Olympic movement. Three years ago, my school friends and I thought that the Olympics were only about sport. Of course, I won't be young in the year 2000. I'll be 18. But I'm already a volunteer for the Sydney Games, and so is every single one of my friends. Like them, I'll do anything just to be a part of the Olympics. So you heard, that's Tanya. Now this is Jane doing Tanya. Thank you. My name is Tanya Blanco. You might be wondering why an 11-year-old girl with slightly overdeveloped breasts is speaking to you all tonight. That's on the Best Pits DVD. Yeah, it's kind of note for note there, isn't it, really? It is. mm, the touch, yeah. you got the tone right. The punchline of it, which is... Um... Uh, Robbers John Faye sticking his head in again, uh, which seems to make Jane corpse a little. So I don't know if she was <laughs> expecting uh, Rob to butt in or not. What do you reckon? I think it was she wasn't aware. She knew something was happening, but didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. All right. The next sketch is a produced sketch, and that is the famous Gillette Three Thousand ad. The first blade distracts the hair, and so forth. So. <laughs> Because that one is uh, a very, very popular one. Uh, the one with the 20 blade razor or whatever it is. Uh, uh, 16 blades and a record 75 lubricating strips. Because you, you, you have to remember, I think it was only the, the most number of razors you could get at the time would have been two, maybe three, I think. Whereas but They I were think, really, uh, really banging on about it, weren't they? You know, oh, you get more than one blade, you know, and this was this was a big ooh. thing in the 90s. And the, these days, you know, what is it, standard is like five or something? Yeah. Five and yeah. then a sixth one if you flip it over. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly. For, 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 for line trimming. Yeah. 
yeah, for the slightest for, 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 the, for the edges to really make yourself um, uh, get that Craig David kind of look. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> in certain areas, <laughs> there's a, there's a current reference. Yep. So, I mean, the, the thing is that the, the more blades you get, the crappier the blades are. <laughs> like when it was one blade, the blade would cut. Now when it's five, you're kind of hacking away at the side of your face, going back and forth and back and forth to get it remotely sort of clean shaven. Then um, there's also the lady shave as well, same product with a feminine voiceover. Yeah, I do. I do kind of like the the subtle point made with that uh, joke there, because um, yeah, especially nowadays, um, yeah, there's yeah virtually the same product, but yeah, it's pink. And uh, yeah, more usually more expensive than men's versions. Yes, of yeah, it costs mm. more for some reason. That pink dye in the plastic costs, you know. Yeah, it's a, weird. A whole lot more. It's very and and also you get less blades. You you get not generally speaking, you get two or three in a lady shave. But uh, yeah, you, like, you can you can tell throughout Tony doing all this all of this voice like that. He's he's really enjoying uh, assuming the the thinking about carpet style voiceover. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he was the one that. Uh, that that wrote this as well, considering how much voiceover he's he's got to get. Uh, I, I just I I also love love that second last line and the sixteenth blade. Well, that that little lavender was well. It's just along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a musical pistache, and we have Judith introducing Madonna Rain, which the parody is. And so forth. Yeah, I mean, she starts off by introducing Madonna as the female Cliff Richard, which is quite a nice gag. And then, then we get into the parody, which is very, very similar to Rain, um, the, the video clip for Rain. But you do get to see a bit of um, bit of blackface, a bit of brownface work, because obviously in the original, Madonna's kissing men of different uh, races and so forth. And, and just to balance things out, there's a Nazi as well. So, you know... <laughs> They're really, really pushing the boat in terms of the types of men that Madonna's kissing there. But I did try and reach out to the Madonna, uh, but <laughs> for the podcast. Could, could you get Ken Bruce's sister Madonna instead? <laughs> I've, I, when I tried to do <laughs> reach out to Ken Bruce's Madonna, all I got was a Madonna baby, what are you doing? So, yeah. <laughs> Ah, well. Anyway, uh, time for street interviews. And Mick sets up the fact that himself and Tony hit the streets of Sydney asking the general public what they thought about the Sydney Olympic bid win. Now, this is a really cool part because some of us are from Sydney on this podcast, finally. So that we can yeah, t- finally we, we can talk about areas that we know of. Exactly. And they what they did, the, the two spots that I noticed, there were three, but I wasn't sure of the third one. But they hit up Darling Harbour, which is extremely iconic, especially uh, Harbourside. Uh, and then the other spot was in Marrickville Road in Marrickville, which is so bizarre because travelling from Darling Harbour to Marrickville is not really a five-minute walk down the road. It is roughly a 20-minute trek in good traffic. So that's a tall effort just to go and do some Vox Pops down Marrickville Road. Because yeah. um, Darling Harbour is quite near Ultimo, isn't it? Yeah. So, so it would have been a relatively quick journey over to Darling Harbour from Ultimo, where they would have been based for this week. So what, why go to Marrickville? Yeah, where they were standing was right near the Sydney Convention Exhibition Centre. So that gives you an idea. You can see the monorail in the background. Sydney, but just as a guess, 
Marrickville looked like the Sydney, Sydney equivalent of the various sort of increasingly dubious and run-down shopping strips that they would visit in Melbourne looking to find the most unhinged nutbags they could talk to. <laughs> so. Yeah. And didn't they succeed? <laughs> I worked in that street. Uh, that was one of my first major jobs working in a, uh, <laughs> an electronic store that is now defunct. Uh, it was at 199 Marrickville Road. Boy, did it scare the crap out of me <laughs> because I had to travel all the way from southwest Sydney, even though that's a bit of a, depending on where you are, a bit of a rough area. But where my work was, a smack bang in between Sydenham Station and Marrickville Station. So no matter, which, no matter which train station I got off, I always had the same distance walking there. And where they did some of the Vox Pops, was across the road and only a couple of shops up. Yeah, and that shop um, is now, well, it was a shoe shop after electronic shop, but now it's for lease. So if anyone wants to have a, you know, they should have put in the advertising material. This is opposite the area where Mick and Tony did their interviews. Yeah, and, um, seen on the late show. Yeah, exactly. Well, I work uh, quite close to there nowadays, and uh, I, I walked down that street last week just to see how it changed. And it is a, it's a much more gentrified area. There's a lot of trendy kind of little mini wine bars and and things like that there now so it has changed but there are there are definitely still some uh, discount stores and things on the strip and it's uh op shops and the like and the dentist at that time uh, and tony is sta- standing in front of is still there it's still got the same sign it's still got the same old phone number without the, the uh, eight digits as well so <laughs> some things never Aww. never change did you see the pink whale car Oh, yes. The, the pink whale is no longer there. Um, I can. So the pink whale is what they refer to when they talk about um, how they need good transport for the Olympics and, and they uh, talk about the uh, the famous bus trip to, to Barrel. <laughs> so Here's a few iconic moments from this Vox Pop. So I've, I've only done a select couple of them, but here we go. And you heard the news? Yes. What did you do? Everything, the best. And I got a nice cup of tea with toast. A cup of tea and toast. I heard you ran, ran around the house naked with your underpants on your head. That's you the going round town. Nothing. You've done it. <laughs> In fact, I reckon instead of handing out gold medals, they gold should medals. hand out those caps at the yeah. Sydney Olympics. Yeah, Sydney Jeez, Olympics. I'd be running fast. Oh, hey. Got to get that cap. Get that, get that quick. Got to get that cap. Good old hat guy. Uh, and also... What do you think will be the biggest problem Sydney will have to overcome? Well, well we discussed that yesterday. I was on a bus trip to Barrel and the first thing we decided was we need good transport to the places of mm. performance. And I've yeah. heard most of the big Olympic uh, decisions have been made on the bus trip to Barrel. <laughs> Hashtag bus trip to Barrel. Oh, if, yes, and then the Redbubble store. Yep, buy it on the Redbubble store, yep. <laughs> and also... The first thing they're going to build, is it going to be a thousand-bed hospital? I don't think so. I don't think that's one of the events this year, is it, Mick? Age and disease, <laughs> people are going to leave behind. Right. The, the, the athletes? Yes, and everybody, all the relations they bring with them. Do you think they're not going to be very clean? Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll have one of those little pools like they have at the swimming baths where you have to walk through. They'll have that at the airport, won't they? Spray on the oh plane, too. <laughs> Thanks very much, Senator Bromwell Bishop. <laughs> that lady, I swear to God... That lady was more or less a product of its time. <laughs> oh, I'd, oh, she's very contemporary, I'd say. Yeah, I'd she's, say. <laughs> she's, she's the sort of person who'd be running for the Senate at the moment, wouldn't she? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of Australians against immigration or some, some kind of nutjar 
sort of party she'd be setting up or maybe a one nation candidate or something i mean she'd she'd have her own like you know youtube channel where she'd be constantly spouting off against immigrants or whatever (laughs) she's she's sadly very very contemporary yeah and the the most well-known one uh is as kim was describing about the dental surgery was this gentleman we need a song you know like the spain they had the amigos thing what do you reckon be a good one for sydney a good one for Sydney. Ah, uh, you strike me as a bit of a Blakeney Twins man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think some good old... Uh, I don't know, I think we should go for something dri- different, like... Jump in my car. Yeah. <laughs> Jump in my car. <laughs> That'll become the new theme track for the Olympics. Yeah, sure. I like that. Well, shut up in your face. <laughs> no, not shut up in my face. <laughs> I mean, it's really good that you're in Maryville and that because every day we just walk up and down, same things happening, same people. It's really exciting. So today's a bit of a treat then. It is, you know. Well, Having like... a couple of bums with a microphone, whispering <laughs> <laughs> you in the street, the highlight of the civic year, is it? It's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Well, I have to concur with, with uh, this gentleman here because it w- would have been definitely the highlight of the week. I know uh, my friend Kenny, who actually lived in Marrickville at the time was so annoyed that she was not there on that day. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that guy's just loving it, I've I got to yeah. say. Uh, and yeah, speaking of a, a product of its time, Jump in My Car, that's a very product of its time song. <laughs> when you think about it nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did reach out to Tom Panos, uh, who, who is that person, uh, the ah. ver- very well-known real mm. estate entrepreneur, auctioneer, auctioneer yeah. that's it, yeah, mm. and um, just a, a great spokesperson. Um, MC and you know j- just a great personality. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't make it to this current recording, but um, we have organised to have a chat to him hopefully before the next episode. So stay tuned for his thoughts on being immortalised uh, on the Late <laughs> Show for that moment. And if yeah, trust me, I've got a couple of questions to ask him. So I am really looking forward to chatting to Tom about that, and hopefully I can share it with everyone when it happens. So stay tuned for that. Can I talk about the whale? Yeah. Oh, tell us about the whale. All right. The whale of a tail. So there's, there's a bit in the bus trip to Barrel where uh, they talk about requiring good transport links to the Olympics and they're like, like this one, for example, and then they cut to this uh, pink whale that's on top of a car. And um, that was a, a quite a famous whale that was uh, always hanging around Merrickville. Uh, it actually was a representative of the whale car wash um oh. which happened uh, which was which was a, a long time ago um and it was um basically i i believe that some of the former directors of the whale car wash um may have faced some uh some charges and the, the whole the whole business um <laughs> collapsed sometime <laughs> in the 80s or 90s um and unfortunately the the whale got trashed sometime later it was painted gray and then graffitied on um oh. my sources tell me it's a datsun 180b so, <laughs> so any no. car nerds, that's what it is uh there's also there's a there's a few other uh great uh, moments there like um uh, the Asian man in the green jacket who was purely there uh so that tony can ask him uh do you uh uh, do you know that you've got Graham the Colonel's jacket? There's, there's also the uh, the uh, people doing impersonations of uh, the John Faye moment 
expertly done by a couple of guys in business suits as well. I think it was spot on. And what about the guy with the broken leg? That's when, when you take your John Fay impression too far. There's, <laughs> there's, also, there's also the young kid in Marrickville who's wearing a T-shirt that says helmet. And and they say, what what are you going to be doing in, in the year 2000? And then he sort of pauses and, and then Tony jumps in with going through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe it was Mick. I can't remember. Anyway, it's funny. Wasn't it him also, uh, Richie Cunningham on crack? Yeah, yeah, no. he's Richie Cunningham on crack because he he does a John Fay impression. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's also the one guy as well where they do actually quiz him about a certain character on the show. What about the Late Show? Have you ever seen that? The Late Show? Yeah, it's on Saturday night. No, I don't. No, I don't wait up for that. Have you ever heard of Barjas? Bajaj. No, you got me there. Yeah. Bajaj. Is that a trick question? That's a trick word, is it? No, it's a very real question. Bajaj. A mate of mine, you remember um, those, the time that Coca-Cola were doing those marketing things where you could get your name printed on? Oh, yes, very popular. Yeah, he managed to convince someone to print Bajaj on the can. Uh, and no, but hang on, the, 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 two, the, the two separate words, B-A-R space J-A-R-S? No, it was a full word joined together, but he, said, he pronounced it as Bar Gears, saying it's the surname of a friend of his, Bar Gears. <laughs> so hang on, like Bar just without the E on the end? No, but you pronounce it with the, you know, kind of like a French type thing, so Bar Gears, B-A-R-G-E-A-R-S-E. Bar kind gears. Of like Mrs. Bouquet. Mrs. Bouquet. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like bucket bouquet. <laughs> you you laugh at this, right? But but I had a I still in fact have my barjas t shirt and I used to wear it around um mid nineties. And people who didn't know what it was, they they would think, Oh, how do you pronounce that? And they would say something like bar gears and it wouldn't occur to them that it was arse. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. like like we were talking about, this wasn't a swear word or sorry, this wasn't a, a slang term in Adelaide at all. You know, you only knew about it if you'd watched the late show. Whereas, you know, calling someone, calling a fat person barjas was obviously a thing in Victoria. You know, so no, no one in South Australia knew what it was unless they'd watched the late show. So they'd just go bargain. What, what is this? What is this T-shirt you're wearing? <laughs> Baffling to people. Whereas in Victoria, we were just calling each other barjas twenty four seven. Yeah, even people who weren't fat were probably copying it. Baby's first have... words, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, well, was yeah. it like this sort of weird linguistic barassi line kind of thing by the sounds of, <laughs> no, by the sounds of it? After Street Talk, we're back on stage and it's the crew members coming out uh, on stage from Biosphere 2. And mm-hmm. now this is based on what was going on at the time. There was Biosphere 2 going on in the US and... Yeah. The people... It wasn't based on the Paulie Shaw movie. No, that was Biodome a couple of years later. Come on, that's a documentary. It's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say that was that was the one that lifted the lid on what really happened. Yeah, like <laughs> you had Kylie Minogue in that. So. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> the crew members of Bio... you know what? Sorry, here's the grab from the original Biosphere Two people. Hello there, my name is Sally Silverstone. I'm the co-captain of the Biosphere 2 crew and the director of agriculture and food systems. This is Abigail Alling, our associate director of research, Mark Nelson, our director of environmental applications, and Dr. Roy Walford, our medical officer. 
Also inside the Biosphere with us, we have Mark Van Teel, the Director of Technical Systems for You're Biosphere 2. Jane Pointer, Field Agriculture Manager. <laughs> just goes on and on. Where are they now? Yeah, there's a full document. Have you got interviews with any of them? They're still introducing themselves. Uh, yeah, it, they're still going on, so we'll come back to them a bit later on. Well, they're still going on today. If you yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing, from what I remember, was very scientifically dubious. It, it was like a good stunt. Yeah. But you weren't learning anything from it. And it's not like, oh, we did a biodome. Now we can all go to Mars and set one up there. It's like, yeah, no, well, you can, and then you'll be dead. (laughs) It just doesn't, it didn't work. It it sounds kind of like the cryptocurrency of its day. You know, everyone's going, yeah, this is like this cool, exciting technology. Basically, it's a scam. The cool part about this biosphere sketch is that while the whole team were part of it, they actually had uh, reporters sorted and situated within the studio audience having a chat or just interviewing the biosphere people such as Laurie Zion. Two years under a glass dome it's certainly certainly great to be back and we're happy to uh, happy to field any questions you may have. Any questions? Yeah. Over there please. Uh, Laurie Zion, Triple J. Are you, you still a Triple J Lawrence? Good. Yeah. <laughs> I had a question. Were you totally isolated within the dome? Uh, for the entire two year period only two things managed to penetrate the glass dome. A small amount of carbon dioxide and an Amway representative. That was <laughs> I picked up some washing powder. Was really <laughs> we heard the biosphere's airlock was open 27 times. Uh, yes. Oh. Yeah, well, yeah, hang on, hang on. He's overacting. Yeah, Lawrence. <laughs> First time was uh, for uh, an emergency. The other 26 involved the delivery of pizza. Yeah. Yeah. So um, at the time of this recording of episode, uh, Laurie um, and I have actually were going to... I was going to have a chat with Laurie, I should say, in, but we just couldn't get synced up in time. So... Again, kind of like Tom Panos, he will feature hopefully in the next episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So, um, yeah. big, big thanks in advance, Laura, for agreeing to having a future chat. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, do, I, I do like the, the little. Oh, you're still working at Triple J, are you? Because I'm pretty sure he was ABC moving on slash maybe aging out of Triple J and moving across to Radio National. I think at the time. Yeah. Oh, but- he he was still on Triple J. In until at least '96, doing Creatures of the Spotlight, possibly okay. even a bit longer than that, but certainly mid '90s, he was still there. Yeah, but and he's he, he's also got uh, another kind of connection to the DJ because he wrote the foreword uh, that you'll find uh, in the there's a uh, well there was because it's probably out of print now a book of uh, frontline scripts, yeah. and he wrote a foreword about um, about how the show came about. Again, <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding Matt, my copy up. Here we go. I've, Front I've, I've piece, got, got no Laurie Zion. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've got no idea where my copy is, but I've got a copy as well. No, not good really? enough, Daniel. <laughs> Bring it up. It's, no, all, all, for... I've, all I've got is a uh, John Kerner frame. <laughs> and a, and a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of DVDs. <laughs> Yeah, there was a thing. You, you win with that Chris Lilly single. <laughs> <laughs> In no way whatsoever. There was a thing for a while, though, that Laurie Zion and the DGEN worked not quite hand in glove, but Laurie Zion did quite a bit of stuff. Not a lot of stuff, but he wrote articles and that about them in Melbourne for quite a while. And it was during a period where a lot of other people were not right. Were, either not getting access or not writing about the DGEN. So he was sort of 
not their media liaison guy or anything formal, but he was the guy that you could go to if you wanted a story about the DGEN and he could probably get you access. And that went on for a, a fair while during the frontline era because I know they were a bit media shy, you know, when you've got guys like Warnicky around, you're probably not keen to, to <laughs> chat to, you know, random journos from the age. But I think Laurie Zion was sort of seen as a bit of a safe pair of hands for them for a while. Yeah, so um, you can – well, I got my copy of that Frontline book at my um, book fest, Lifeline book fest. For, I still got the price tag on it, $2.50. Mate, you yeah. <laughs> used to see it everywhere in op shops. It was really common. I think like school kids for a while because the the siege was part of like media classes. So mm. I think a lot of school kids had it. So there are a lot of copies still around. And it's a good book. Now, the other um, – Journalists in the uh, meeting or in the audience were other than Laurie was uh, Annette Young from Sydney Morning Herald, Michael Ardado, uh from the Daily Telegraph, and also this guy, Detective Sergeant Barr. <laughs> I don't think yes. you're accredited, Detective Sergeant. <laughs> I'd just like to know why you bunch of mongrels keep taking the piss out of me. We can't take that. No, I can't take that. No, I can't accept that. Next question. Amanda Keller, Beyond 2000. Amanda? What did yes, you Amanda. do for entertainment? Oh. Well, it's uh, very simple, Amanda. Uh, most nights we'd watch telly or gather around the piano. <laughs> Uh, wishing we'd brought along someone who actually played the piano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have fun. You don't need to play a piano to have fun okay. with it. I mean, we just. Would you do it again? The sketch? No. I don't think so. <laughs> I felt sorry for Amanda following Barjas after that. <laughs> yeah, heartache to follow. Yeah, in the TV Week article I have um, where they talk about the Sydney show, they, they quote um, Lucky Grills just saying how. He just loves the Barjas treatment. He says, Barjas has become famous and it's rejuvenated my career. At least people are talking about me all over again, so I don't care what they say. Louis had a good run all over the world as it is, so why leave it sitting in a cupboard when it can be used? Mm. Really good attitude to it. Yep. If you want a copy of Bluey, by all means, enter our Barjas competition. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, there you go. Now, now also, I just wanted to mention... Uh, that there's a bit of a jab at Adelaide in this sketch. Oh, talk, yes. talk, talking about, talking yes. about uh, uh, trying to get acclimatised to the, the biosphere. Um, and sort of, well, yeah, considering considering that this is a Sydney show, like, uh, I'm quite thankful that there doesn't seem to be any sort of jabs at Sydney. There doesn't seem to be any sort of jokes at the expense of the Sydney-Melbourne divide. I suppose, yeah, considering... Yeah, Adelaide can sort of be in the middle, sort of absorbing the blows from both uh, Sydney and Melbourne in this case. Well, I, I, either that or you know, Tom Tommy G wrote that line because Tommy G loves an Adelaide joke. You know, he he did them all through the Late Show. You know, even sort of continued to do it on the panel. He he doesn't do very many on. Um, have you been paying attention? Which is um, a shame because you know I've always enjoyed Tommy G's Adelaide jokes. Going to say it was Tommy G and the rest of Australia who loved those Adelaide jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and they did end everything with Laurie as well. Just oh, one sorry. final question: What about interpersonal relationships? Oh, 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 this was a scientific oh, experiment. Yeah. 
I tweeted an image of that of Jane being pregnant <laughs> uh, that image uh, to Jane ages ago and she actually goes I don't even remember doing that sketch <laughs> don't know if that's you know trying to just avoid responsibility for how <laughs> how bad the sketch was kind of except for barge ass it's, yeah. it's an all right sketch. There it was some, it's it's one of those sketches where it's basically just a bunch of sort of sets up, set up and punchline. You know, it's it's not a coherent sketch. It's just a bunch of jokes kind of stitched together. Yeah. But it's fine. Yeah. You know, they've done worse sketches of that type. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it might have also been to try and big up the uh, the, the journalists because, um, yeah, certainly everyone apart from Amanda and Lucky, uh, um, they're all media writers as well. So I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've got a feeling it might have been a little a sweetener to get them into the audience kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a good way to make sure that you don't get negative um, articles from them about their Sydney show by getting them involved in the show. It's a very very clever technique that. (laughs) Well, it was interesting that, you know, they never did that in Melbourne. Ah. Maybe Warnicky said no. He said no to being involved (laughs) in a sketch, which is a shame. Well, well, just thinking of the, uh, the Melbourne equivalent at the time, if they were going, you know, for the age and that, they probably knew they were best to steer clear. They still have culture writers and that, but yeah, it's not like it was. There's not people that would be doing this, you know, I'm the TV writer that is based in this city covering the television in this city. I think I think if Michael Adato, I think, is still at the age slash Sydney Morning Herald slash nine, but I yeah. think he's based in Hollywood now and just kind yeah, of he, does he interviews to, there. Yeah, there, there used to be... I think just before the pandemic, uh, the Agent Sydney Morning Herald did their own sort of TV podcast that Michael was part of. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was doing it from L.A. <laughs> we have. <laughs> Everyone's favourite fat detective barge ass in the episode a few For a Few Donuts More, which is adapted from the novel by E.M. Forster. Yes, E.M. E. Forster there, the author of A Room With A View, Passage to India, Howard's End, and many other books probably all filmed by Merchant Ivory. And uh, and Tedious September. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) How could I forget Tedious September? And and also guest star Super Mario Barjas. Yes. (laughs) The chief of pork squad runs down the calculations on how many donuts Barjas has consumed. Last night I had that one, you know, where you're driving up a quiet country lane, minding your own business, when suddenly from out of the sky, donuts. Extra king size donuts coated in rich dark chocolate raining down from the heavens. I'm being showered in them. It's pure bloody ecstasy. Then, bang, I crash into a 20 foot poly waffle. It adds an extra layer when you have the audience reacting to it, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. So after um, they start becoming self-aware... You're a laughing stock. Apparently that mob on the late show have based an entire cereal around the size of your gut. That's bullshit. They more likely have a go at your bald nut than my physique. Steady on. They better not be changing our voices. They're probably overdubbing this scene right now. If only we knew where they were. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way that Barjar sort of looks up at the ceiling going, if only we knew where they were. (laughs) (laughs) So Barjar has to lose the weight and he tries it a la Rocky and then ends up in hospital where people need to push a fat bastard up a corridor. We run some tests, Doctor. What do you make of this? Mm. 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 It's definitely a clipboard. Thought so. <laughs> <laughs> and what's he dreaming of? 
donuts. It's nice just... that they got um, Rob Stitch, the medico of mirth, to play the doctor there. <laughs> yeah. The role yeah. he was born to play. But yeah, it's, it's that uh, Rob's line, it's uh, just the standout line of the episode. But just considering all of the bonkers footage that they had access to, it's just, it's a really uh, solid piss take, this, this particular episode. The chocolate donuts... The, the running in the, the ill-fitting blue tracksuit. And and the massive lamington he's eating right at the start of the sketch as well. <laughs> oh, God, that lamington looks good. Well, I was going to ask if anyone had any idea where he was jogging because I, Bluey was filmed in Melbourne, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah it's, not, it's not Albert Lake? Is, is it Albert Lake? Oh, it could be. It looked a bit sort of industrial in the background, which made me think maybe not Albert Park Lake, but... I couldn't think of where it was, and then I realised I'm the Melbourne expert for this. Yeah, you're the only one who can answer that. So no. If anyone recognises it, call in. But yeah, it's. I know. I I just couldn't think of a place in Melbourne that had that kind of lake. There must be some park somewhere with an ornamental lake, because it, you know, it does look a bit artificial, doesn't it? That yeah. I mean, it may very well have been Albert Park, but I because I remember. One episode of, of Bluey and Barjas, they've clearly filmed it in sort of the north of Melbourne. It's like, I think it's not Coburg Station, but it's on one of those lines. But I can't think of anywhere up around there unless, yeah, I couldn't think of a place. Where's Prue when you need her? I know, right? So we're on stage and Tony is basically doing a stand-up routine, talking about uh, how travelling makes him nervous and his abundance of electric timer switches. Yeah, again, it's a, a pretty adequate uh, bit of stand-up. Seems to kind of be there just to fill in a bit of time. I did think watching this episode that it felt, I wouldn't say light, because, I mean, it goes the full length and there's always something going on, but it did kind of feel like, yeah, there was a few bits where they had, you know, time fillers, because there's this the stand-up bit that could could have gone in any episode. And there's a bit later on where they're sort of on the couch talking, which goes on for a bit as well. And it did kind of feel like I wondered if the travelling to Sydney had sort of left them with a bit less time than usual to work up stuff. I did enjoy the bit about the the timer switch, though, on, on the light, because, you know, I come from a family where we had timer switches and we would have them on when we went away and, and of course you know as you see in home alone it is it is not a good deterrent for burglars at all <laughs> but i i just remember this one time that we went on holiday and this was pretty soon after we'd got a video player and, and video players were obviously very expensive you know when you could first buy them and they were very uh, a, a nice target for a burglar so what my dad did is he unplugged the video player and put it under our sofa and, and it was only once that had been done and the timer switch had been set that he felt safe to go wow. on holiday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this, this is, these were the kind of crappy sort of measures that one took in the um, late 80s, early 90s to try and prevent burglary of, of one's electronic goods. Mm. Oh. Well, I guess your sofa had like a skirt to it, so you couldn't get <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it did. He so. did have a skirt to it because, you know, the assumption was that the burglars wouldn't be looking underneath for video players. They no. would assume the video player would be with the television. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what? I shouldn't really laugh at yeah, that. Because right, I've right known... if your dad did equally stupid things when you went on holiday. I knew <laughs> a friend uh, from primary school whose family did that, so... Because uh, I remember, well, they would put electronics under the sofa. Yeah, there was one stage that there was a. I won't mention a name, but they actually had a record player underneath. <laughs> uh, just a turntable. Wow. Yeah. 
I'm just astonished you're talking about this as a thing that happens in the past because I'll, have to, <laughs> I'll occasionally leave the house and the laptop is not coming with me. And that's not left on the desk. That's hidden somewhere in the house because, you know, for all you know, some guy's going to come climbing through the window in the one hour I'm not home. So <laughs> you've got to make it hard for them. You can't just leave, you know, the valuables out in the open. No. I'm hiding stuff everywhere when I go out. <laughs> oh well, that, there's a good there's a good tip for anyone planning to burgle Tony's house. Yeah. I didn't say where. I didn't say where you guys. Yeah, you, you're 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 from Sydney, aren't you, Tony? Yeah, you don't you don't live in Victoria. <laughs> Nowhere near Victoria. Yeah, it's toilet break time now, and it is Act Six. Todd Rickson and his very well known fancy gymnastic inspired dancing routine. Now I had to shorten this a lot because. Obviously, uh, it's, his routine is it's all music, kind of like Razia, but he's playing mm. uh, the song or he's playing a dancing to a Prince song. So mm. to get around the smack bang copyright, this is all I've got. <laughs> You've done it, have you? Oh, I think he's done a hamstring. There you are. Never mind, mate. Well, uh, I think we'll just. Uh, what do we do there? Uh, We'll just uh, take a commercial break, I think, and we'll be back after the break. Let's try that at the action point. Well, uh, yeah, it, it is a, a very visual act, but um, there's a, a lot more uh, descriptive uh, clip I found on YouTube from one of those US when TV goes bad kind of shows, you know, sort of in the vein of uh, when things get knocked over, spill or fall out of cupboards. Um, and uh, yeah, they they do they do use different music to to get over having to pay Prince and the Revolution uh, a bit of royalty money. Uh, but you also get a bit of uh, added um, commentary from uh, potluck host Ernie Sigley and Todd Rickson itself. Uh, have a listen to this. Melbourne, Australia. It's a special live broadcast of Potluck, a talent contest for ordinary everyday citizens like Todd Rickson. How dare you wear my old body? <laughs> What's your name? Todd Rickson. Todd Rickson. How are you, Todd? Good, and you're you. a dancer, obviously, are you? It's a pretty outfit, isn't it? <laughs> hey. Potluck host Ernie Sigley believes he was in the presence of a rising star. There were lots of spangles and all that sort of He was quite uh, jazzed up, as we say, and uh, I thought, well, he looks so good. You know, he looks like another Gene Kelly. I thought, he's going to be really good. Dancer Todd Rickson. Todd Rickson. Fifteen years of lessons and a flashy costume add up to this moment. He's hoping that this performance will be his big break. Todd rises to the occasion. He gyrates, kicks, and spins through his elaborate routine with energetic precision. Todd is about to attempt his signature move, the Rickson Sky Kick. <laughs> but there's trouble. He tries desperately to catch up by snapping to the beat. Although his fingers say yes, his leg says no. The stage falls dark and silent. A slow motion replay reveals that Todd injures himself during his explosive overhead kick. Then, his dynamic dance turns into a painful prance. Clearly in agony, the undaunted performer refuses to quit. But he can't find the rhythm. And the show can't go on. You've done it, have you? Yeah. Oh, he's done a hamstring there, you're right. Never mind, mate. Well, uh, I think we'll just, uh, we'll just uh, take a commercial break, I think. It's like a thousand daggers going up my arm, up my leg. 
I was petrified, absolutely petrified, thinking that my dancing career was over. I was really embarrassed at the same time, so I knew that a lot of my friends were sitting there watching me. It was quite an amazing moment on television. I mean, I'd, I'd uh, hosted many, many television shows and I'd never seen anything like this before. The boy was halfway through his routine and then he just, just collapsed. Remarkably, Todd's dancing days didn't end on potluck. After months of rehabilitation and years of soul-searching, he returns to the national spotlight to perform his routine on arena television. Wearing his trademark tights, Todd completes his number without incident. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd Rickson! Congratulations. Thank you, Todd conquers his dancing demons, but he will never forget the night that a high kick led to the low point of his career. I love how serious the, the, the U.S. Uh, narrator so takes all of that. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, like sort of, yeah, years later, he performed it. Uh, again, they, like, they say on arena television, but the arena channel even back then wasn't that special. And, yeah, it was on some... Uh, some live show uh, with a small audience hosted by Tony Squires. So in the YouTube footage, you get to see Tony Squires hand a bouquet of flowers to Todd, uh, yeah, who's in the, the original uh, very low-cut, flowy kind of uh, lycra dress. It's an extraordinary outfit, isn't it? I mean, you, first of all, it completely exposes his entire chest, which is very, very hairy in the style of Emmanuel Macron. <laughs> um, and then, then he's he's got these kind of, um, you know, sort of flared kind of black trousers, but but it's all accentuated by a sort of gold sequined mankini type thing, <laughs> which just to remind you um, which sex he is. Um, so it's really quite a special outfit, and it's and when he the, does that, sorry, it's called the Todd piece, of course. <laughs> of course, it's called the Todd piece, not a not a mankini. <laughs> it, it's a very special outfit and a very special routine. But isn't it great to know that Todd came back and completed it? But I love the fact that in that little doco bit, there was like a two minute explanation of you know he has to get back in time, blah blah blah. And it was so long to describe it, and yet all we have is. You've done it, have you? Oh, I think you've done a hamstring, man. Ten seconds, not even. So, <laughs> oh, you buggered up, mate. Of course, there's always the judging period, and now we have a special judging moment. So Bernard King, who does his regular judging, but also he has a special guest, the other judge doing this as well ugly dave gray todd this isn't a score this is a token number for the card and for all the gamblers at home australians are dedicated gamblers life being at norm his 20 when you come back recovered we'll then totally reassess the work all right okay so that's uh, 20 dave i thought he was doing great for them actually i was ready to give him a real good score but as bernard said just uh, a score for the board. Give I... him 59 because I've got 70. No, I gave, I gave him 30. You can't I gave him 30. Oh. If you add those two up, I guess it's unfair because we've only been going by what Bernard has been scoring. So, Daniel, what have you counted? Well, yeah, if, if we were to take uh, Bernard King and uh, Dave Gray's scores uh, for a total of 50, that would technically put him in first place. Uh, 10 points in front of Piffy. Wow, 10 uh, points but, only. Uh, yeah, again, everybody else has been ju- judged on Bernard's points alone. So uh, even just on those 20 points from Bernard, that puts him equal seventh uh, alongside uh, the Spangles who uh, sang Venus. 
back in episode two. He's got it. Mm. Did you try and, <laughs> and track down Todd for this? Uh, I tried to, but with everything, it's always those fake profiles where it's just a screenshot of him pulling his hammy. And then mm. there's a whole bunch of French stuff as well. So I just could not find him. His name is too common to be... His video, his actions are too viral, if that makes sense, to actually mm. define. And his name is a bit too generic. When, when you say that French stuff, is that a euphemism for something? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You look up Todd Rickson, dancer, or anything like that, choreographer or whatever, and then there's a whole bunch of French websites, like literal... Mm. French, not any euthanism. There's a Rickson's hairdressing near me, which has been going for ages. So whenever they said Todd Rickson, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then it's like, no, wait, I'm thinking of something entirely different. (laughs) (laughs) And when they do the haircuts, do they just fling up their leg in the front here? A lot of scissor kicks. (laughs) Scissor kicks. Very good. At last. Hooray. (laughs) All right, so after the toilet break, um, we are on the couch and Tony, Robin, Santo and Jace are on the couch going through the letters explaining on how the audience got there tonight because uh, they had to write in in 25 words or less why they deserve tickets or send in a photo of themselves with a celebrity. Now, they did point out a couple of letters, um, one where someone had written in 459 words, <laughs> which kind of missed the point. But then they went to Mr. Spurge of Cogra, and <laughs> which a certain someone in the audience got really defensive. Mr. Spurge of Cogra. Right, now that would be of the Cogra Spurges, right? <laughs> Just a minute. Don't start on Cogra. I live there. <laughs> Please. No more questions. But anyway, <laughs> Mr. Spurge. Having a dream sequence. <laughs> Become the donuts, the donuts. <laughs> oh. And the thing is, that wasn't his own voice. <laughs> yeah, and he, he was always living around. I mean, I, I live around there now. My school was in Cobra at the time, so we were all very excited to hear the suburb read out. And uh, I think he's. Fan club was based in Ramsgate, which is also very close to Cobra. They also uh, reached out and mentioned that Dave McGovern had written in and saying that he deserves tickets because he was the last non-Datto to win a Logie for most popular actor in a telemovie or miniseries. And that was at the 1991 Logies, which is true because Cameron Datto did win the Logie the following year for Golden Fiddles. Dave McGovern was in the audience and he is an actor, and this is what he won the Logie for. Remember Jackaroo? Kind of. The miniseries? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Well, well, he, well here's, a, here's a refresher. Half-cast Aboriginal falls in love with a white girl. The Outbacks made him tough. Half-cast Jackaroo? But her wealthy parents will see him destroyed. Was he jumping straight out of your bed and into hers? Through the pain of separation. No, he's gone, Claire. Get that into your head. Can their love survive? Annie Jones, David McCubbin, Tina Bursell and Warren Mitchell in the Australian miniseries Sensation. Jackaroo starts Sunday on 7. That's what he won the Logie Warren for. Mitchell, as, as in yeah, the, the British actor Warren Mitchell? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, Warren, Warren Mitchell, he, well, he was a bit like um, oh, that other, uh, Mary Margulies, uh, in that yeah. he would uh, yeah. spend a lot of time between the UK and Australia. Yeah. Well, well, so I, 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 I recognise him more from the Australian movie Crackers. 
um, yes. more, than, more than anything else. But although I, I am, I am aware that he was also Alf Garnet as well. Well, now you um, know that he was in Jackaroo. Well, Cameron Daddo was in a movie I saw just recently for work um, called How to Please a Woman, which is uh, a comedy. I'll, I'll say comedy. Um, yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's not a failed comedy. It's just, it's not, it's more like a lightweight drama. It's not packed with jokes, but Cameron Daddo was in it in quite a serious dramatic role. Oh, did it star his sister, mm-hmm. Adriana Daddo? <laughs> she's dead now i think isn't she adrian yeah, yeah unfortunately yeah. Yeah. yeah it stars sally phillips oh, so, oh from, from boy yes, Town. another another british actor yeah and ros hammond is in it as well so yeah there's mm. it's, yeah it's out soon well check out uh tony's review in any where that they would publish his on review. the internet on somewhere the in- yeah. at some point <laughs> So, uh, so other photo submissions include shots of Bernard King on the pot of gold set. Uh, not pot like what pot of gold because of the style of the score. Well, that's what Rob insists. Uh, then you have Gary Sweet's ass at an ABC <laughs> presentation <laughs> thing. Um, I guess that's the get to know the ABC personalities. Uh, then you have Andrew Denton, who couldn't even crack a smile. Grant Dodwell and Aussie Joe Bugner. So Jace also shows a clip from a viewer highlighting a blooper from Baywatch. Mm. This, this is where it gets extremely random. But, yeah, it, it, they, when they do show it, it's someone had written in saying that in the background where uh, David Charvet's running down the beach in slow-mo, in the background there's a kid who does a full... Pulls down his movement. pants and shows everybody his butt. Does his yeah. uh, Philip Brady impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> He times it very well, actually, because the, you do yeah. actually see it because the camera is kind of going past a bunch of people who were sort of in front of him. So he could easily have done this this move and, and been behind the person when the camera went past. But no, he just gets in a gap between two of these people. And, yep, there's his ass. Yep. And fortunately did not get noticed, you know, through countless editors, I would uh, fathom. No yeah. doubt. You simply YouTube Baywatch and bum. And you actually don't. You might have to clear your cache later. <laughs> so Tony reads a letter from Shauna Crowley from New South Wales saying Andrew Denton has done acting before, making an appearance as a delivery man. No, not trying to steal Greg Fleet's thunder as delivery man number two, but it was on a country practice and they showed a clip and they also give... Andrew, an honorary Logie for his acting, which he accepts via satellite. He, he yeah, tells which, us which, all which, the cardboard boxes taught me so much about acting, which is a nice <laughs> line. Yeah, I think I think it was via satellite just because, um, yeah, both uh, Denton and uh, Tony Martin can't be in the same room together. <laughs> it's it's physic- physically impossible. Apart from that time when they were. Santo recaps the letter from a previous episode where a viewer had asked how Rob, Santo and Tom met, which was on an episode of It's Academic, Black and White. And so Santo actually claims that he found another tape where they're on It's Academic again. And this time it, it's they show a clip with Judith, Jane and the work experience kid Julie, who was in Champagne Comedy mm. Podcast episode 35 and has mm. the nameplate as well. So um, this is where the nameplate comes in. So um, this is, it's academic. King Charles II between the years 1632 and 1649, except for 1642, and he abdicated the throne temporarily during the Roundhead Uprising. He is right, and that's your 10 and 200 points for something to By the way, Mr. Howard, I'm having your baby. That's right, and 10 points for you. <laughs> 
I, lo I, I love, again, like concentrating on Julie, all of those reactions, especially to, uh, uh, especially to Jane's revelation. And mm. even before that, the little kind of a smug face yeah. she has when, uh, <laughs> Very good when, 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 when Judith Lucy gets her uh, question right. Yeah, and also the guys as well, they do their usual things. No Tonga, though. Who was the explorer who led an ill-fated attempt to cross Australia from east to west in 1848? Peter Brock. Brocky, king of the mountain. <laughs> no, I can't pass that. What would you belong to if you were training at West Point? A Holden Precision Driving. <laughs> I'd be training at a casino. The US Army Cadet Corps. The whole sketch is on the best bits. Again, it's that kind of writing backwards, uh, uh, trying to find something out of all of the uh, questions asked by the original host. I just love that the setup for it when Santo's trying to explain, Jace is cacking himself laughing because he knows what's coming up. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, what... the capital of Sweden is Volvo. That, that's what he knows is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for a commercial, and this is, I guess, inspired by last week's appearance of the suite being on Hey Hey It's Saturday, basically doing a tour, and that is the Old Fart Touring Company presents the suite on tour, and they describe how old and fat they are, as well as a shonky <laughs> lineup consisting of the original bass guitarist, the brother-in-law Alan, second cousin Joe, next door neighbour Kevin, and a drunk Broncos supporter that they met at Brisbane Airport. And yeah, for for me, the the only bit I like out of this sketch is the the line playing all their great songs, including Fox on the Run. Fox on the Run and Ballroom Blitz. Are you ready, Steve? Uh-huh. Andy? My name's Joe. Nick? We haven't got a Mick. Yeah, Broncos! That's an improvement by Santo since he did play the Hornpipe Classics doing Ballroom Blitz. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they already had the backing track, so they might as well do a full sketch where it's the suite and at the same time do a sort of a, a swipe at all the various bands who were reforming. You know, there, there seemed to be a whole bunch of bands from the 70s or whatever who were reforming at that point and, you know... It was a real thing. Touring. Like, there was like yeah. three or four versions of the Beach Boys going around for a while because <laughs> the members wouldn't work together, but each one would go, well, I'm a Beach Boy. Therefore, my band is the Beach Boys. Oh. <laughs> and there was a whole bunch of. It went on for quite a while. I think they've either everyone's either made up or died. But for a stretch there, there was a period where you would have rival versions of classic bands sort of touring against each other. And one one would be the original version of the, of the band, and you know, yeah, the the original Platters and the new Platters and. Well, mm. wasn't there two versions of the Little River Band for a while? <laughs> That, that that sort of thing is still ongoing. The, the Little River Band is still going on in the US, but I think none of the original members are part of it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's correct, yeah. It's like, it's like a big legal stoush uh, between um, uh, Shorrock and... Uh, Manager or something like that? or Yeah. Yeah, and because the original uh, band members are uh, called LRB and then they had to change it again or whatever and now they'd go by their surname. The, 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 the last I heard of it was that they were, they were pretty pissed off that the new band gets lumped in with the original band on Spotify. Time for Graham and the Colonel and, well, wasn't this uh, a very interesting one where they just played havoc on the Sydney Olympics? So wearing uh, Olympic ties made from huge plastic tubes that sat on top of the opera house. <laughs> 
and they're so long that Colonel has to use a hose reel to wrap it up. <laughs> I, I do enjoy the hose reel. Yeah. It's a good prop. Nothing like a big prop. <laughs> exactly. Taxis are in Sydney are slow, which, and because they had to share one with Dawn Fraser, and they're the open ones. They're basically talking about the ticker tape parade. But they do actually describe um, how the ticker tape is actually made. You see, they shred worthless and obsolete government docu- uh, documents. So I got, I'll go through it again. They shred... Unpronounceable documents. Unpronounceable yeah. documents. <laughs> they shred worthless and obsolete documents. Oh, right, yeah. And for, oh, yeah. for this, yeah. Well, you see, for instance, this is John Fay's commitment to the Paralympics. Oh, of course. They just... That's worthless. I can, uh, I can just imagine John Fay now going, oh, that wasn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely bit of politics in there. And the, and, and the Sydney crowd just uh, went along with it. There was also mentioned about the Mexican wave and how it's out and it's going to be the Fay wave. Uh, and every joke that didn't get a laugh was just put into the shredder. Which is most of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the logical conclusion, really, because, you know, Graham and the Colonel famous for chucking their scripts behind them when they don't work. Well, you know, just shred them. Yeah. <laughs> And who's carrying the torch? It won't be us, will it? Right. I, I don't think we'll be, no. we'll, we'll be us. To few of the, fill the viewers in, we were part of the relay of people who... <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Mm. We were part of the relay of people who were entrusted with carrying the Olympic torch to Melbourne in 1956. Oh, they, they got mad with me, didn't they? Those well, you put out the eternal flying. Well, hang on, it was a day of total fire ban. I was allowed to put it out. But you can't out. just... Uh, just might whack that in the... Uh, <laughs> The old shredder as well. I tell you what the problem is, Graham. My prop is better than your prop. <laughs> so who did have the better prop? I think Sandra had the better prop. Mm. <laughs> the Olympic flame burning in Sydney will be huge because of a giant fire starter cubes that they'll be using. Big giant prop. There's also the threatened black boycott of the games. So I'm guessing this is in regards to Indigenous or something like that? Or I, I think there so. was something like that early on and yeah which is weird to hear about now because now you sort of the the sydney olympics you think about the complete opposite way but yeah i think there was a bit at the time okay and tony then intrudes and guess who arrests graham and the colonel for just going on too long with some bad jokes this is them officer this is them this way graham and the colonel they've been getting away with it for too long come on come on hang on those big props aren't mine another big (laughs) It's the equivalent of ending the sketch with the men in white coats coming and taking his <laughs> Hey, since Barjas is there, they might as well milk him for all they can. Now we're on stage and Judith explains where half the set has gone. So this is all about the whole set that's on display and they cue footage of, it's a cheap joke, of a truck taking a hard corner <laughs> and the set falling off the back of it. So, yeah. <laughs> That was another bit where I spent my time going, where in Melbourne was this? Is that the Westgate Bridge? (laughs) I think it is the Westgate Bridge behind it, but that part of Melbourne has really changed. They've really developed it quite a lot, whereas back then Mm. it was sort of kind of swampy by the banks of the Yarra. Because you see a lot of, and this is getting a bit obscure, a lot of old McAuliffe sketches were filmed around sort of Spotswood and that part of town. And yeah, it's. I think it was that part of town, but I remember McAuliffe doing his Billy Connolly impression there, like the Billy Connolly's World Tour of Australia, and he's going the Westgate yeah. Bridge. It's f- 
fucking fantastic. <laughs> There's also that sketch, and I can't remember which show it was from, but Bob Franklin is living in a caravan, and it's under the Westgate Bridge. I can't remember what show it was from. It was a great sketch, but it was like Bob Franklin as creepy loner living in a caravan, but it's like, oh, it's under the Westgate Bridge. Whereas now all of that is totally fenced off because presumably they're worried you'd park an explosive truck under there or something. But well, that, back then you could just walk under it. It was just a bridge. Well, wasn't it as well that's where they did a fair few shit-scared uh, pyro uh, stunts, um, sketches as well? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, because that part I can remember, yeah, it used to be used to be the, the river crossing before my time even, before the bridge was built, there was like a punt that you that crossed the river the, there. Oh. And, yeah, it was just like sort of wetlands, not much else around there. But it's all really changed now. It's much more developed. Well, there's another Melbourne cliche. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting tours of Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> Judith then asks, Jace, what the Sydney mural painting is all about that they've had on set. And then Jace explains that Tom said it was all fine and then it was revealed that Ken Doan had painted it. That's a good get, isn't it, getting Ken Doan to, yeah. well, I don't know, presumably do it for not very much money. It'd be worth a lot now, you'd reckon. Yeah, I wonder what happened to it. Yeah, I'm going to find out. Um, I've got a, a contact who's, um, whose wife uh, works in Ken Doan's gallery, my, one of my work colleagues. So mm-hmm. um, he, he was actually quite interested in uh, participating in, in, in this uh in this episode, but uh, they, they're really busy with a Kendo and fashion show. Yeah, he's, he's always uh, busy in his in his gallery. Uh, he's also a keen archivist. Just a nerdy little aside, I just noticed that when, when there was the footage of Ken Doan painting the set, you could see a bunch of other backdrops for various ABC shows. And the one that I could see was the afternoon show with Peter Ross. Yes. Which, um, <laughs> which was actually a program that I used to watch sometimes. It was um, Sunday afternoons on the ABC and it would basically be just Peter Ross in the studio linking a whole bunch of um, arts documentaries and programs like discussion programs and stuff that went on for about two or three hours on Sunday afternoons. Oh, that's mm. really cool. Well, let's hope this mural didn't go the way of the um, mural that was on Hey Hate Saturday. If anyone watched that special that we were just talking about, there's a scene where Plucker Duck just punches his fist through a Kendone uh, mural. So let's hope that this one is intact somewhere. Now we have the closing musical finale, and it is Mr. Talking Heads himself, David. Letting the days go by, let the water overflow. Letting the days go by, water flowing under rock. Into the blue again, after the money's gone. Once in a lifetime, water flowing underground. Burn or boon. So I actually tried to reach out to David Boone. A month ago, <laughs> to give that breathing space, <laughs> nah. So I got that out. He was too busy nah. on a plane drinking a lot of beer, I imagine. Uh, that's it. He's lost his dead set legend status. There is a quote in this TV Week article from David Boone where they refer to him in this sketch. Um, they say that he signs a copy of his autobiography and leaves a copy for the Oz Brothers with this thought: "A great show." Believe it or not, I try not to miss it, even get the brother-in-law to tape it whenever I'm not there. Just love the Oz Brothers. It's really good how they just love what they do with with their characters. So other than that, you have the closing credits. And now, was there any Easter eggs, Daniel? Well, there's a long list of special guests in this one. Uh, So uh, the special guests listed were uh, Glenn A. Baker, David Boone, Don Burke, Paul, Paul Clitheroe, Andrew Denton, Ken Doan, Lucky Grills, Jeff Harvey, David Hill, Jim Little, Ian Morris, and Les Murray. 
And also a long list of uh, thank yous to ABC News, City of Sydney, John Deirdrick, Kent Forbes, JMP Films, um, they're the ones that make a country practice, the Metropolitan Hotel Sydney, misspelled there, uh, the estate of the late Gerda Nicholson, the Seven Network, and Sturgitzer Zamagius. I don't know who he or she is, or they are, I should say. Uh, in these politically correct times. <laughs> they do plug the tickets for next week if you want to be in the audience of The Late Show. In Sydney, we didn't get to see that. Yeah. Uh, this was from yeah. Melbourne, yeah, and that was... Top- we didn't get in Adelaide either, but but on, on the VHS tape that I acquired from someone clearly from Melbourne, um, <laughs> you can see them plugging the tickets for next week. And then they then they say, we're about to go out to King's Cross and do something degrading. So that's what they did after the late show. They went off and got extremely drunk, I imagine. And Back in the days if, when you if, still if, do if, that if King's Cross. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you're wanting a jab at Sydney, I think that's the closest to it, really. And only Melbourne got it. <laughs> uh, they would have hit the pub up in Marrickville, which was right near my old work. <laughs> Not the yeah. other one that was on fire the other week. <laughs> Well, that it does wrap up The Late Show, Season 2, Episode 16, as well as Episode 36 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So please reach out to us, champagnelateshow at gmail.com. Get your barge ass entries in because you could win the Bluey box set thanks to mygeekculture.com.au. You could also win the Champagne Comedy DVD as well as, and unfortunately this is on a webcam, but... Trust me, we'll tweet out yeah. the picture of uh, Joan Jett and the fishnets. It is not yeah. Joan Jett, but signed. Joan Kerner. It's, it's signed by Joan Kerner. Yeah, the late, yeah. great Joan Kerner. This is the one that <laughs> was in the op shop, and yeah. we're giving it away to a good home, to a hardcore fan. So, so yeah. yeah. Got to get that poster. Get it, get it quick. <laughs> so make sure you do your best barge-ass quote as well as a fart noise, please. And send it to champagnelateshow at gmail.com. Also, Twitter at TLS Champagne, champagnecomedy.com, or Facebook, The Late Show, and uh, also the Champagne Comedy Podcast uh, the, on the group. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're in. Uh, and also the Redbubble store, bit.ly, Champagne Comedy. So I just want to say a big thank you to Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Tony for coming back after a bit of a break. Yeah, great to be back. Yeah. All right, well, we'll see you next time in the Champagne Comedy Podcast. My name is Matt. Catch you all next time. See ya. See ya. Bye. Nothing like a big problem. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au. 